got your Bible, we're still in 2 Timothy, we're going to be there for a little bit longer, so um, page 995 in uh, the church Bibles, if you're there. Um, uh, a number of weeks ago, Elizabeth and I and, and our kids were, um, were out for a meal, and we were visiting a local um, establishment just up the road there, I won't name which one it was, um, and you'll see why in a minute. And um, Elizabeth was ordering, I was standing next to her, and there was a guy in the back. So there's open kitchens, and you can see what's going on in the back. There was a guy in the back who was clearly quite new. He was getting a bit of a, a training session from one of the supervisors. Looked very smart in his new outfit, and a very uh, crisp, pristine. Um, again, showing the ropes, got his name badge. He's there, kind of maybe first day, I don't know. And the supervisor's shown him the ropes of how you assemble this certain type of food that is sold in this certain type of establishment. And he's kind of listening intently to what she's saying. She leaves him to it. And no sooner has he kind of moved away, I'm kind of watching what's going on with interest. He's obviously got a cold or something. Uh, proceeds to um, wipe his nose on his, uh, on his glove. To be fair, he had gloves on. So at least he didn't get it on his, uh, on his nice clean hands. But uh, got wherever he was kind of holding his nose on his gloves and carried on making these things. Um, needless to say, there's a certain kind of food from a certain type of establishment that I probably won't be getting um, anymore. But what you had there was a guy who was uh, looked the part, was wearing the, 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 um, the name badge, wearing his outfit. He's an approved worker, but yet he's acting dishonorably. This is going to be a very tenuous link. Yeah. But that is exactly what we're going to see in our passage this morning in Paul's letter to Timothy. This is what we're going to see uh, this morning. If you flip the slide up there, Elizabeth. Paul is trying to show Timothy that Christians, those who believe that Jesus is who he says he is, those who confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior and believe in their heart that Christ raised him from the dead, Christians should strive to present ourselves as approved workers that are also honorable vessels. Approved workers that are honorable vessels. This guy at this place up the road was an approved worker. He had his badge, he had his uniform, he was on the payroll, whatever. It was a done deal, but he was acting dishonorably in his job. Let's read together. 2 Timothy chapter, four, uh, chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace 
along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that for those who are yours, we, we have already been approved. We have nothing to prove to you this morning. There's nothing in the way that we respond this morning that will remove how we, um, how we are found before you. We thank you that that is because the Lord Jesus Christ has come and lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And he has died in our place and he is seated right now at your right hand as the resurrected Lord and King of this world. And he is pleading on our behalf. We thank you that we are found in him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are perfect. You are good. You are truth incarnate. And we just pray that by your spirit this morning, Lord Jesus, that, that you would reveal that truth to us. That you would lead us to see you for more of who you are. And that as we see you, our hearts would be inclined to you. And we would delight to be able to serve you in response. So help us, we pray. Give us discernment, give us wisdom, give us clarity of thought. Give us a heart for you and a heart for each other and a heart for the lost around us. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let me just remind you of the context of where we are. So the Apostle Paul is writing Timothy, a young man, a young pastor, elder, who is in the church in Ephesus. And Timothy's been given a specific calling. He's, he's one of the leaders in the church in Ephesus. And it seems that, that Paul has maybe placed Timothy into this church to, to help refute error. So there's, there's definitely some heresies which are floating around the church. There's some false truths about Jesus and the word of God that are floating around the, the church. And Timothy has been placed there to defend truth. To, to encourage the church, to build up the church, to build up specifically faithful men and women who will be able to, to, to tell the gospel, to share the gospel, to defend the truth of who Jesus is. And we see already in chapter one and in the start of chapter two that Paul goes to great lengths to encourage Timothy and who he is. He's reminding him of his identity. It certainly seems like Timothy is struggling under the weight of this call in which he's been given. He's struggling under the, the opposition which he is facing, which the gospel is facing. And so Paul reminds him of who he is, reminds him of his identity, which is found in Christ, rooted in the gospel. We saw in the start of chapter 2, verse 1, that Paul Paul prays towards Timothy that he would be strengthened by the grace that comes from Jesus Christ. And then from there, Matt led us last week to see that actually now Paul transitions to start to call Timothy to specific things. He reminds him of who he is. He, he corrects his identity crisis. And now he's calling him into specific things. But he's calling Timothy after reminding Timothy of who he is. And he does it again in our uh, section this morning in verse 15 he reminds Timothy that he is one who is approved an approved worker 
Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. That word approved there isn't something that is to come. It isn't written in the future tense. It is either written in the, in the present tense or the past tense. It is something which, which Timothy already is. He doesn't have to strive to, to, to be approved. Paul is saying, no, present yourself as one who is approved. It's done. His approval has already been made. He, he already is approved. And, and if we're Christians this morning, that's true for us as well. We have nothing to prove before God. God has approved us. He has written his name on our hearts. He has written our identity in Christ. There's nothing that we need to do. There's nothing that we need to show. There is no work that we need to do that would, that would make ourselves approved to God. He's approved us. He's made us holy. Steady. He's made us holy. We are found worthy in Christ because Christ is worthy. Metaphorically, we have been given our, our name badge and our, our uniform as believers. We are already approved. He's given us a job description. We know what it is that we have to do. We find that in Matthew 28, don't we? The great commission to go into all the world, to tell everyone who Jesus is, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them to observe the ways that Jesus has laid out. We've been given our job description. We've been approved already. But so often we forget who we are, don't we? So often we, we forget what it is that approved workers do. Paul shows us in this passage here in a number of ways. He shows us what approved workers do. We see in verse 14 straight away, approved workers remind others of the gospel. Verse 14, remind them of these things. Remind them of these things. What are the things that Paul wants Timothy to remind those around him of? We see that back in verse 12, uh, verse 11 and uh, 12 and 13. Look back up there and Paul says this, this saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, we, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Paul is saying, remind the faithful ones, remind the elect around you of these things. That through Jesus' death, we have also died to sin. That through Jesus' life, we also live and reign with him. If, if we deny him, he will deny us. But, but if, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Remind those around you of the good truths of the gospel. That's what it is, that we have died in Christ, that we live with him. That's the truth of the gospel. Paul is saying, point people towards that. The him in verse 11, 12 and 13 is Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. Paul, uh, Timothy, remind those around you of the gospel. Remind those around you of Jesus. Point them back to Jesus. Now, there's a sense in which if we're believers here this morning, we don't ever completely forget Jesus. We don't completely forget the gospel. But we so often kind of let our minds slip away and just wander away from the gospel, don't we? Wasn't it what Matt was saying last week? Actually, our prayer should be that we, we, we have a, a laser focus on Jesus. We have a laser focus on the gospel. So often we kind of slip away from that and get distracted with the things around us. We almost forget that Jesus isn't just a Jesus who did a work on one day when we were saved. Jesus isn't just the starting point of our faith. He is the constant of our faith. We need him day by day. 
Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, remind them. Remind the elect. Remind the faithful ones. Remind them of the gospel. Remind them of Jesus. And we're exactly the same, folks. As approved workers, that's what we should do. Remind each other of the gospel every time we gather. We were at um, Mark and Julie's yesterday for breakfast. And the breakfast was incredible. Um, pancakes with bacon, crispy bacon, maple syrup. Um, it was wonderful. But what was particularly wonderful was just talking about the gospel. And it wasn't planned. There was a, a, um, a verse on the wall behind us from Hebrews. And we started talking about Hebrews and the beauty of, of, of Christ being our high priest and him being better than anything around us. And, and I enjoyed the pancakes. Don't get me wrong, guys. They were lovely, but so much more. I enjoyed just feasting on Christ and the gospel. Folks, we should do this every time we gather. It doesn't need to be forced. We don't need to kind of get out our kind of checklist of, okay, we talked about kind of niceties today. Now let's talk about Jesus. No, this should just be what we want to do and who we are. We wear Jesus on our sleeves. We are Jesus' people. And so remind each other of Jesus. Remind each other of the gospel. Next, you see in the second part of verse 14, approved workers charge others not to fight. Remind them of these things, Paul says, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. That word charge there, the, the picture is there to call them into something. He's saying call them into, into this idea before God. Call them into not quarreling about words. Stop fighting about words. So there's a sense in, in, in the context of the passage here, there are, there are kind of false doctrines which are floating around and people are getting hung up about certain doctrines or certain words and they're quarreling about it, they're fighting about it and Paul is saying it does no good. It does no good. Not only that, it ruins the hearers. That's what he says. That word ruin there in the Greek is catastrophe, which translates to English as catastrophe that's what it's saying to kind of to fight around words to fight around inconsequential things it's no good and it can bring about catastrophe in the lives of people around you so why would you it's just not helpful folks we need to be careful about the words that we use and what we fight over in the words that we use i'll tell you this elizabeth and i every now and again have a little bit of an argument and recently we were arguing about a word ridiculous was the word and Elizabeth was right in the argument, I'll, I'll give her that, but we spent a good few minutes arguing about this word. Now in hindsight, how, ridic how ridiculous is, is arguing about a word like ridiculous? It's just stupid. We didn't gain anything, it didn't do us any good. Thank goodness it didn't ruin us, it didn't kind of bring about catastrophe because it's just a word. Bring that into the context of the church. There are words which are important, but there are words which are just not worth fighting over. They're not worth falling out over. Actually spending so much time just fighting and contesting against each other. And we might not do this here, but we may do it online. Or we may kind of give ear to those who do it online or in different circles. And Paul is saying it's just not helpful. It can actually lead to the catastrophe of relationships around us. If we're going to fight, folks, let's fight to win others to faith. Let's fight for Jesus. Let's fight for things that are worthwhile, not about kind of semantics and words. Let's be known as people who do fight, but fight for, for love and fight for Christ and fight for, for the lost and broken around us. 
That's what Jesus says that actually we should be known for, not known for fighting about words, but actually known, John 13, known by our love, by the extent that we would go to love one another. How will people know that we are his disciples? By how you love one another. And we do actually see this in the Christian world. We were on the bus yesterday, uh, me and the kids, and we got on and um, I only had a £10 note and the guy didn't have chains and he said, it's okay, just sort out on the way back. I'll, get, I'll give you the change as we get off. And we, we, were, we were just about to get off. I got to the front a little bit early so we could sort out the chains. And he said, it's fine, mate, just leave it. You, you guys get off. And I was made up. I've saved myself a fiver. Got off the bus and Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth, Ruthie said to me, Daddy, was that bus driver a Christian? I said, I don't know. He might have been, but, but why did you ask that? Well, because he was so kind to us. And she does this all the time, actually. She recognises kind of goodness and kindness in people. And her question is, Daddy, are they Christians? Because, because by the grace of God, she's been able to, to be around people, many of you guys as well, who actually live lives that are compelling to her, that actually show her that these people love one another. Christian, Christians love each other. They're good to each other. They speak well of each other. Isn't that great? That's how we want to be known, isn't it? That's how we want our kids to be able to identify that Christians are who they are because they love each other. Not because they quarrel and fight. Do you know what? There's been so much absolute rubbish and trash on, on social media in the last few weeks. Men of God, supposedly men of God, standing up in front of conferences and talking rubbish about other believers. Denigrating them, speaking down to them, being reckless with their words. And I look at those men and I think, that's not a Christian. Or at least that is not Christian behavior. To speak about another person, to speak about another believer the way that you have. That is not what I identify with a Christian and a way that a Christian uses words. Our words should be seasoned with love and seasoned with grace. We should fight for the things that are worth fighting for. Approved workers follow truth and they lead in truth. Look at verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Central to the Christian life is truth. Truth, absolute truth. And central to this passage here is truth as well. You see kind of words and truth scattered all over the verses that, that we've read together. And the truth that we hold to defines how we live. It does. The truths that we hold to define how we live. Twelve times through this passage, Paul talks about words in some shape or form. You'll, you'll kind of see him talk about quarrels or, or controversies or babble. We'll get to that in a minute. But there is one type of word that stands out, and it's this word in verse 15. The word of truth. The word of truth. The word of truth. He's talking about the logos here. The logos. The logos is, is the, the eternal word of God. But it's an eternal word of God which, which is in action. So, so all these other kind of words that he's talking about, quarrels, controversies, babble, these are words, yes, but, but they, they kind of have a, a, a shelf life. They will go out, we will speak them out, we will, we will argue, we will quarrel, we will babble together. And they may achieve something, but eventually that kind of, that thing that it's achieved will just wither away and fade away. But the word of truth, the word of God, the logos, is an eternal word. It is a word that is truly active. 
John says in his letter that this word is Jesus. Jesus is the word of truth. Jesus is the Logos. And Paul is saying an approved worker handles this Logos. It handles the word of truth. Remember the situation that Timothy is in here in Ephesus? He is, he is, he is amongst the uh, kind of people who are trying to bring false truths into the church. Heretics. People are bringing heresies into the church. What Timothy is contending against here isn't a power struggle, but a truth struggle. That's what's going on in the church. These people, we're going to meet them in a minute, are coming in and they're trying to distort the truth of God and twist the truth to their advantage. He's not kind of physically contending against these people. This is a struggle around truth. And we engage in that same struggle day after day. We do. Even sometimes you don't see it, but it is there. We are constantly battling against the opponents of God. In the world, in our flesh, even against the devil. And often the battlefield is not out there, but it's in here, in our minds. A contention for truth. You see at the end of the passage, actually, who's behind this. In verse 26, Paul shows Timothy that actually the devil himself is behind what is going on. Satan himself is behind what is going on. This is Satan's work, distorting truth. Paul is saying, Timothy, you need to use the word of truth. You need to handle this word of truth well. You need to bring the the, the truth of God to bear in this situation because the reality is Satan deals in lies. What does God deal in? Truth. And the truth that God deals in is living. It is active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It is a lamp unto our path and a light unto our feet. Might have that the wrong way around. That's okay. You see what I mean? The, the truth that God is telling Timothy to use is so much powerful, more powerful than the lies that Satan is trying to promote. We sang it in a hymn before, didn't we? I'm going to forget this. You might have to just bring it up, Elizabeth, if I do. Martin Luther wrote the, the hymn that we sang um, last there. Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. How is God going to combat the lies of the enemy? Through us kind of getting out there with our boxing gloves on, trying to, trying to, no, with his truth. That is how God defeats the lies of the enemy, with, with his truth. His truth which is powerful, his truth which is potent, his truth which is living and active. Paul is telling Timothy, follow that truth. Follow that truth. And he also says to lead in that truth. Lead in the truth. He says, rightly handle the word of truth. In some of your translations, maybe in the NIV, if you've got it, it says this, divide the word of truth. The picture there that Paul is painting is is one that was quite common um, when when this letter was written. And what he's talking about is, uh, the picture that comes to mind is, is cutting a new road. So if you imagine kind of a forest and you're trying to get from one end of the forest to the other end of the forest. Picture that comes to mind when he's talking about dividing the word of truth is is to cut a new road, to kind of make a new road that is going through that forest. Another way that it's kind of seen is is when a farmer is pulling a plow behind him and he's making um, kind of furrows in the land behind him. He's creating a pathway behind him. Same with the road, he's creating a road behind him. 
Paul is saying, divide the word of truth. Cut a, a new road through the forest. He's saying, use the word of God in such a way that creates a path for others to follow. So don't just kind of stand on truth, but lead in truth. Live in ways which make well-trodden paths with the truth of God that are easy for us others to follow. That's what he's saying. Follow the truth and lead out in truth. I wonder if we do that. We would all say, if we are believers here this morning, that we would stand on the truth. But are we actually making well-trodden paths with the word of God to make it easy for others to follow? One of the easiest examples to see this, see this is with our kids. Our kids follow us. Not just kind of their biological parents. They follow every one of them. Every one of us who is wrapping around our kids, they follow what we do. Are we creating well-trodden paths with the word of God that is, makes it easy for them to follow in behind us? I remember when I was younger, my dad, every morning, my dad was a shift worker. He used to be out 11-hour shifts through the night. And every morning without fail, I would come down and he would have his Bible open, his hands open on the breakfast table with his bowl of porridge. Day after day without fail. That created such an impression in my heart. He was creating a well-trodden path with the truth of God that actually he was saying that the word of God is important, son. Like this is a priority. Make this a priority. He was living in ways which made it easy for me to follow. Paul says, follow truth and lead in truth, Timothy. He says in verse 15 as well, he says, do your best for God. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Do your best, Timothy. Now he says he doesn't say, be the best. He doesn't say to Timothy, right, Timothy, you, you've got to be the best pastor in Ephesus. You've got to be the best kind of evangelist. You've got to be the best one who can, who can defeat all these heretics. He doesn't say that. He says, do your best. Timothy, you're already approved. You're already accepted by God. You don't need to do anything to prove yourself to God. Just be the best elder that you can be, Timothy. Do your best to present yourself as something that you already are. That's Timothy's context as an elder, as, an, as a pastor. What's yours? What has God called you into? What does God have you doing right now? Knowing that you are already approved, you were already accepted by him. What is he asking you now just to, just to do your best at? And this isn't a comparison game. Mark Twain, who, who wrote Moby Dick, I think, said this, comparison is the death of joy. Imagine Timothy there, a young pastor. Who, who's he probably going to be relating himself to and comparing himself to? Paul. Timothy's going to have no chance, is he? If he compares himself to Paul, he's just going to kill himself. Paul isn't calling himself to compare himself or to be, be the absolute best. He's saying, Timothy, be who God has called you to be, where you are, and do your best at that. The only comparison that we should be making in the word of God is to Christ. And actually, when we compare ourselves to Christ, what do we see? We fall light years short. And that just exalts the beauty and the glory and the perfection of Jesus. We don't need to compare ourselves to anyone else. We need to see the calling, the unique calling that God has given each one of us. And with the help of God to do our best to live out that calling. Verse 16 Paul shows us that approved workers avoid ungodly babble. 
Verse 16 says, but avoid irreverent babble or ungodly babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. I love that word babble. Who babbles? You. <laughs> All right, fair I wasn't, I wasn't going for that, Andy, to be fair, but appreciate your honesty. Um, anyone else in this room babble? Babies. Babies. Thank you, Helen. Well done, Andy. <laughs> Babies babble. That's what they do, don't they? They kind of... Like, they're trying to say, oh, we'll kind of hear um, Nehemiah or, or Elia say something, and someone's like, oh, they said, they said daddy or mummy, and they probably didn't. They were just babbling along, just saying nonsense, but we love it kind of when they sound like they're saying something. Babies babble. Paul is saying, don't babble. Don't kind of use useless words. And and specifically, avoid irreverent babble. Avoid ungodly babble. Words that kind of just have no no, um, kind of weight behind them, but particularly words that are ungodly, that are, are, are irreverent. Avoid them, Paul says. Why? Firstly, because they lead to more ungodliness and they spread like gangrene. Do you know what gangrene is? Dead, dead cells, that's what it is. It's kind of death, kind of living next to kind of healthy, um, good cells. And what the gangrene does, it kind of takes over where the, where the healthy parts of the body are and it kills that as well. It spreads across the body. Back in Paul's time, if they saw kind of someone with gangrene, they wouldn't kind of cut that bit out. They'd chop the whole leg off. If you had a little bit of gangrene, they'd be like, we're not risking this. Chop the whole thing off or the whole arm off just to make sure it didn't spread. It spreads across the body. It infects the body. I don't know whether you've ever smelt it. I have, unfortunately, and it must have been 15 years ago I smelt it, and I can still remember it now. It stinks. Gangrene stinks. It smells of death. It's toxic. Paul is saying that is what ungodly chatter is like. In the body of Christ, it's toxic, it stinks. It has a stench of death. And unless you kind of chop it out, it will spread through the body and infect the body. He gives us an example here of two people who who are doing this very thing, Hymenaeus and Philetus. They're kind of going around the body saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're saying that we've already been given our glorified body. They're talking about the things of God in ways that aren't even true. They're irreverent, they're they're ungodly. They've departed from the truth of Jesus. And he says in verse 18 that they are are upsetting some as they do. They're upsetting some in the faith as as they throw out their false doctrines. What is ungodly babble? How do we know what ungodly, irreverent babble is? Well, ask yourself this question, is it truth? Is it truth? When you hear these kind of conversations or when you even feel you might be engaged in this kind of conversation yourself, ask yourself that question. Is it truth? And how do you know if it's truth? You need to know truth. You need to spend time in God's word so we can know what is ungodly, irreverent conversation. And we need to remember that when we speak, when we converse with one another, We don't do this in kind of like a closed, isolated space. God is present. He reminds us twice of that in the passage. Verse 14, charge them before God. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God. 
Paul is very aware that actually the church doesn't kind of sit in this cocoon where God sits outside. God is intimately part of his body. So when we are talking to one another, we are not just talking to each other. God is present. So here's another question to ask yourselves. When you are conversing with another person, you think it might be kind of heading towards irreverent or ungodly chatter. Think about what would God think? If Jesus were here now, would he be happy to enter into this conversation and join in with us and kind of throw in his two pence? Would Jesus be happy to engage in our conversation? Would he be pleased with our conversation? Husbands in the room, can I say this specifically to us? The way that we talk to our wives, would Jesus be affirming us and clapping us on? Would he be pleased with the words that we are using to speak to our wives? Would we be comfortable with Jesus sitting alongside us while we speak to our wives in the way that we do? We need to remember that we speak before God and we should avoid ungodly talk because it leads to more ungodliness and it can spread like gangrene and bring death. Verse 19, Paul makes a bit of a transition. Remember, he's he's trying to lead Timothy to show that Christians should strive to present themselves as approved workers. And I was going to show him that that these approved workers should strive to be honourable vessels. Verse 19, he encourages Timothy that there are those in the church, Hymenaeus and and Philetus, who are trying to kind of break down the church. Where in verse 19, he reminds uh, Timothy they can try all they want, but, but God's firm foundation, which is the church, God's firm foundation stands. There is no amount of heresy. There is no amount of ungodly chatter. There is no amount of opposition towards God's church that is going to ruin what God is doing. His church will advance. The gates of hell cannot stand against God's church. And God knows those who are his. He knows those who are his. He goes on in the second half then to show us that we should be striving to be honourable vessels. Verse 20 says this, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honourable use and some for dishonourable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable, he will be a vessel for honourable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Paul is painting a bit of a picture for Timothy, saying, imagine a house. This house is, is, is the, the house of God is the church but imagine this house inside a house and we will all be the same probably inside this house you have different kind of um vessels different different things that you might eat from so if you came into our house on gc night we eat from paper plates but if you're a special visitor you will eat from our wedding um our wedding plates and now you're all thinking back and thinking have I eaten from neil's wedding plates am i a special person (laughs) you probably have sometimes in gc night we bring them out But there are different kind of vessels. There are different things that we use. There are plates that we use kind of to honor people. Paul is saying you have kind of vessels of of gold and silver. They would be used to kind of honor, honor people who will come. And then you have the kind of wood and clay vessels. They would be the paper plates that you would eat from when you come to gospel community. Now, they're all part of the house. It's not like some are outside the house and some are in the house. They're all part of the house. We use them all. But some are used for honourable use and some are used for dishonourable use. Paul has shown Timothy here that we should want to be the wedding plates. 
We should want to be the, the instruments that, that are used for honorable things. Now remember, all of these are within the house. It's not like the gold and silver plates are, are in the house and the wood and clay aren't. He's talking about everyone in here is part of the family of God. Whether you're a gold and silver plate, whether you're a wood and clay vessel, you're part of the family of God. But he's saying some people will be happy to just be an approved worker, just to be used for normal, common use, still falling back into dishonorable things, still kind of repeating sin that, that we should have just, just get away and, 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 and clear out. Still every now and again forgetting who Jesus is and walking after other things. Paul is showing us here you can be in the family of God and still do dishonorable things. But do you want that? Is that really who you want to be? Or do you want more than that? Do you want to get rid of the dishonorable things in your life? And as you do, what he's shown us is, do you want to work for God? Do you see what he said there? He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Do you want to be used by God for every good work? Do you want to be ready, ready there, kind of clean, not kind of being distracted by the sin in your life, not kind of having to come to confession, repentance every day over the same things, but being ready to go, being a clean, honorable vessel. Here I am, Lord, send me. Not distracted by the things of the world, not being weighed down by the passions and the desires of your flesh, but focused focused on Jesus and his mission, ready to go as an honorable vessel. Isn't that what we want? How do we do that? Well, verse 22, Paul says, flee youthful passions. If this is true, flee youthful passions, Timothy. Often we read that and we think that he's talking about kind of sexual immorality. He may be, but it's unlikely to be the case. In the context of what he's talking about, he's talking about speech and truth. And so often young men kind of, they get a bee under their bonnet, don't they? And they kind of see something and they latch onto it and they're kind of arguing it and just to and fro. And, and, and I think what Paul is saying is, grow up from that, Timothy. Don't go there. Don't be a kind of arrogant hothead like you might have been when you were younger. Flee youthful passions. He's already told them, hold on to the truth of God. Lead in truth. So others can follow. Flee youthful passions. Give up your childish ways. Stop fighting like a young man like might fight. And pursue righteousness. Pursue right living. Want that. Like when you wake up in the morning, ask God to help you with that. That you'd be able to walk in righteousness. That you wouldn't be engaging in dishonorable things again. But you'd be cleansed walking in honorable things. Pursue faith. Ask God to deepen your understanding and your belief of who he is. Pursue love. We've already talked about that. Ask God that he will help you to be marked by love. That that's how people will know that you are one of his by the way that you love your wife or love your husband or love your brother or your sister or the people that you've been set around in your workplace. Pursue peace. Would that be a marking characteristic, Timothy, of your life that you are peaceable? You're marked by your peace which comes from God. Verse 23 says, don't be distracted. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. 
Six different times this passage, Paul calls Timothy to, to don't, don't talk like that. Don't talk like those people talk. Don't fall into that way of engaging and conversing with people. Don't be distracted, Timothy, by these, these, these discussions and controversies over here. Stay on the Logos path. Stay on the path of, of truth. Hold on to the word of God. Verse 24 to 26. He says, live a life of grace. This is what it means to be an honorable vessel, to flee youthful passions, to not be distracted, and to live a life of grace. Let me just read these closing verses to us. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Paul is saying to Timothy, be gracious. He's speaking specifically to Timothy here as an elder in the church when he said the Lord's servant. And there is a specific role as an elder in the church in verse 24 that he is to teach. So just as an aside, elders should be able to teach. That's a, a qualification of an elder, that they would be able to teach. But the rest of what he tells Timothy is just as much applicable to Timothy as it is to us. All of the things he calls them to now are, are backed up by scripture elsewhere. These aren't just for elders. These are for every servant of God. Every approved worker should walk in these ways. Every approved worker should endure evil patiently. Not getting kind of disrupted and, 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 and swayed by it, but patiently enduring evil. Every approved worker should correct opponents. Verse 25. We shouldn't just kind of, if we hear kind of a reverent babble and we hear kind of false doctrine, we shouldn't just kind of put our fingers in our ears and say, well, uh, you know, Paul's told us not to engage in it. No, we should correct them. But correct them how in verse 25? Gently. If people are opposing us. We should correct them, but we should correct them with gentleness. We should be people of grace. It's interesting Paul has a real hope of restoration for these people who are bringing about division in the church, who are bringing in false doctrine. Paul's heart in verse 25 is that as they are corrected, God might grant them repentance, that the truth might come back to them and they would come back to God. That's Paul's heart. That's Paul's heart who is in chains in jail. And his heart for those who oppose God isn't anger or frustration or bitterness. His heart breaks for them. And Paul's prayer is, God, would you bring them back? By your truth, would they come back onto the, onto the, onto the, the, the road of Logos, onto the way of truth? Would you correct them? Would you grant them repentance that they would come back? So how do we respond then? How do we respond to, to people who are quarreling with us, opposing us, doing us wrong? I know for me, so often I respond with anger, with bitterness. Even sometimes there's temptations for unforgiveness. Approved workers strive not to do that. Approved workers would even pray for those who oppose us. Approved workers will serve, serve others with grace. Approved workers will be kind. And not just kind to the people who are kind to us, 
What does Paul say? Be kind to everyone. Verse 24. Don't be quarrelsome. Be kind to everyone. There are people in our minds right now as we close even the thought of saying a kind word to just tensions come up within us there might be ways in which we've been wrong this week words spoken to us words spoken about us and the last thing we want to do is engage with grace towards those people Paul says be kind to everyone no exceptions to everyone Christians should strive to present ourselves as approved workers that are honourable vessels. And a lot of what we're called to here by Paul is hard. It doesn't come naturally. It rubs up against how we think we should respond to the situations of life. And so remember what Paul prays towards Timothy in verse 1 of chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If we get grace, we will give grace. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth. We thank you that your word is living and active. And we pray even now as we sit under the authority of your word that it would do a work within us. That it would convict where there is wrongdoing. That it would nurse us where there is pain. That it would bring healing and restoration where it is needed. Jesus, we thank you that for those of us who love you, for those of us who see you as our Lord and our Savior, that we see your truth as a good thing. You set our boundaries, you set the lines of, of what you've given us in your word around us and they are pleasant for us. Thank you that we don't feel constrained, but this is what true freedom looks like. Jesus, help us by your spirit to stay on roads of truth. Not to veer off into, into talk and conversation and, and false truths which will, will do us no good. But to stay, stay firm, firmly grounded in your truth. Help us to be people who will live lives that are worth imitating. Help us to follow truth and to lead in truth. Help us to make pathways and well-worn roads uh, uh, that follow your truth so that others will follow. Help us to be discerning over our speech. Help us to be wise with our words. Help us to be loving and gracious towards one another. Father, we thank you for the relationships that you have brought us into, the many relationships which are represented here this morning. Help us to engage in those relationships with grace. Even where we have been wronged. Even where the world would say we are entitled to be angry, we are entitled to hold a bitterness against those people, help us to engage in grace. Help us to be kind towards those people. And Father, we thank you that we have a great example in your Son of what it looks to to or it looks like to respond to those who are, who are doing us wrong. Jesus, we thank you that you live the perfect life, that you faithfully engage amongst those who were against you. Yet without sin. Help us by your spirit to be strengthened by, by that grace. 
Help us by your spirit to each morning, each day, to be aware of the power of our words to build up and to destroy. And so we thank you for your grace. Thank you that we have received received it. Remind us of that. Pray that you would empower us by your spirit. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. As we share this meal now, it would be good just to spend a few moments just in reflection. Let's reflect on on Jesus as we take this meal. Um, I won't read it now, but the, the words of Isaiah 53 show us how Jesus responds in this sort of situation. When he is wronged, when he is accused wrongly, when he is opposed, how does he respond? He didn't open his mouth. He didn't speak out words of bitterness and anger and frustration and unforgiveness towards his opponents. He died for them. He gave his very life and shed his blood for the very people who were nailing him to the cross. Let us remember the price that has been paid for our forgiveness so that we could then forgive others. Take a moment to look inwardly and ask yourself the question, am I a vessel for honourable use or dishonourable use? And where there is sin, confess of that sin and repent. Walk away from it. Ask that God would strengthen you by his spirit with his grace to be able to walk away from that sin, to be ready for him to be able to use you. And spend this moment just celebrating the finished work of the cross. We are able to look forward to a time when we will live in God's perfect house forever where there will be perfect peace and love. If you want to pray with someone, this would be a great time just to share this meal together, encourage each other. Uh, Just be open. If you're struggling with something this morning, just get alongside someone and ask them to pray for you. There's no embarrassment in that. People would love to pray for each other this morning. Please do that. The meal is an opportunity for us to care for one another as the body. So let's not give up that opportunity. So let me just break the bread. Give thanks for the wine and the juice. And when you're ready, come up and take it to me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body which was broken. Thank you for your blood which was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you that you know the depth of our hearts. That didn't prevent you from going to the cross and, and taking on our sin. Jesus, we thank you for the love that you demonstrated towards us on the cross. We thank you that all of our sins past, present and future has been paid for in full through your broken body and shed blood. Jesus, we thank you that everything that was deserving of us because of our sin was directed towards you so that we, those of us who are yours, can stand before God now as accepted, as approved, with nothing to prove because you have proven it for us. Jesus, we thank you that we are able to come into the presence of God clothed in your righteousness, your holiness, in your perfect life. And we thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you defeated death, you rose again, you left us your spirit to help us in our weakness. And we ask the Holy Spirit you would fill us now, that you would help us. Where there is weakness, would you bring strength? Where there is a proclivity to be distracted, would you bring clarity of who Jesus is? Help us to focus on him where there is reluctance to forgive and where we are harboring bitterness, would you do work in our hearts 
to respond with kindness and grace and love. Jesus, we thank you that you've gone before us and showed us what that looks like. We worship you as we take this meal. We take this meal in remembrance, in celebration, and in thanksgiving. And all of these things we pray in your name, Jesus, for your glory. Amen. Amen.